You're listening to Wealth at Work, a show designed to help advisors think, make decisions, and cast a vision to create a business for the future. Hosted by financial planner, author, speaker, and CEO of Advisor2x, Ross Marino. Today, I am joined by Stephen Gwinnip with Grow Wealthy. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you. Thank you so much. So glad to have you on the show. This isn't the first time that we've spoken and not the first time that I've learned from you. When your name came across my computer, I went to your website. And if you recall my first email, I binge watched pretty much everything on your website over a weekend, just fascinated <laughs> yes. by your insight and what you, what you do and what you've learned. So for our listeners, can you give us a history of what you experienced through life? Your father was a financial advisor and how you got to where you are today. Yes, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. And my story starts when I was 11 and there's a legacy award on my shoulder behind me. That is my dad's 32 years in the industry. Um, This is back in 1984. So it's been a day or two. I'm now 47. And um, I watched him hustle for a decade to grow this business, this financial advisory business. And I got to see it from the inside. I got to see his colleagues when we go on awards trips. I got to meet his clients when I worked in his office. And I had a couple gut punches that got me right here where I am right now, which is people dying or having, you know, dying at the desk or getting sick, having one good year in their retirements that they had worked so hard to actually do the right thing. And then they didn't get to enjoy it the way that they wanted to. So I decided I was going to go fix it from the other side and become an exercise physiologist. And um, I did that for two decades, over two decades. And it took me to the NIH. I did research for the NIH. National Institutes of Health. I did cardiac rehab. I went to Australia and launched a program over there through their their YMCAs and big fitness centers. Um, But six years ago, I had a health crisis and almost died in Australia. And that was my turning point to say, oh no, Um, exercise is not the answer either. So money doesn't fix it by itself. Exercise doesn't fix it by itself. What is it? So that's when I went back to the research, tried to forget everything I knew and came up with this financial framework for wellness. Because when you look at the two industries, they're almost identical. They have these parallels that the concepts really easily shift from one to the other to create success. And so as far as, you know, helping people live their best life now, grow their businesses and um, help their clients, specifically talking about financial advisors, I feel like I'm in the perfect place because you know, I have the intersection of the secondhand knowledge of finance, right? And then I've got the health and wellness and where those kind of cross is where Grow Wealthy was born to help advisors navigate their health as if it were a retirement portfolio or asset. Now, I know there are general principles, of course, that all people can adopt and anybody in any occupation, any industry, it would be good advice for them. Yes. You've grown up watching financial advisors. You've been around it. You're educated and trained and you realized this is where I need to help. So how about you talk about what it's like to work with financial advisors and what are some unique aspects of coaching us to better health? (laughs) Financial advisors are amazing. They're 
um, I've interviewed over 130 advisors in the last couple of months, and I'm trying to get to 300 for a book I'm writing. So I feel very close to this question right now, because um, what I'm noticing is that advisors are very social people. Typically, they like the interactions with others, and they seek that out. Trying to figure out a way to incorporate that into their wellness plan is really important, but also they're numbers people. They like to... I don't know, be competitive, maybe not with others, but sometimes with themselves or even just with the numbers. And they like to see that progress and the trend line change. And so because of that, I created a system where the very first thing we do when we work together is we we make a balance sheet and it's got your assets and your liabilities and we put numbers to everything and give you like a quote net wealth and you know, W-E-L-L instead of net worth, net wealth. And then we track that over each quarter and it just feeds that thing that advisors really crave, you know, <laughs> looking at the numbers, checking the stats, seeing how they're doing, and then looking at it from that long-term perspective. An right. interesting thing I've learned about advisors, and I don't know why this is, but if they're going to work out at home, they're going to have a Peloton bike, 70% do that I talk to, if they're going to work out in a gym, they're going to go to Orange Theory, typically. I mean, this isn't across the board, but why those two things? And there's the social, and then there's the report card. How much time were you in your zones? And so, you know, there's interesting things specifically about advisors that I like. As soon as you said Peloton, I instantly picture Janya Stout and some other people who have been guests on the show that they're Peloton beasts and they work out, you know, awesome shape. And then you said Orange Theory. And as soon as you said that, I thought, well, it's efficient, right? For the amount of time that you put in and the type of workout you get and the output, the results, you're in, you're out, workout done, right? That place is efficient. It's fantastic. So I guess it's yeah. not a shocker to me. Yeah, exactly. So those have been some fun little nuggets I've learned how to incorporate those things into the wellness programs. As you're writing your book and collecting research, you have six questions that you ask everybody, and I answered those questions for you. How about we take one of the questions that as you're receiving the answers, some of them were a little surprising, or maybe it led to some additional insights that you didn't have before you started the book project? Yeah, well, I think the, you know, the, the what people do for their health, as far as like the Peloton question, I was totally shocked by that when I saw that trend. But if we go a little further, I, one of the questions I ask is what is your number one frustration that bubbles to the top as far as your health goes? What do you wish would improve or get better? The number one thing. And, um, you know, in the world of, of, at least in the United States, the number one thing most people want is to improve their weight you know, their BMI, something like that. But with this group of people, I always hear consistency. They want consistency. Maybe it's consistency with exercise. Maybe it's how they eat. Maybe it's their stress, but they're looking for like a system, you know, habits, consistency, that's going to help them have that um, from here forward. And I think, I think that's really interesting because advisors typically are just really consistent people. You know, they're looking at the the market, they're calling their clients, they're helping others do that. And then that's where they're really finding it difficult to um, be consistent themselves in this one area of their lives. Well, I couldn't help but smile and try to stifle my own chuckle. As soon as you said consistency, I remembered I was just interviewed and someone asked, what was my pandemic project? What did I do during the pandemic? 
Yeah. I said, well, I'm not really sure about the project, but I can tell you my pandemic plus my number one, and that is consistency of working out. Because before the pandemic, I would have told you, well, I try to go to the gym two to three times a week, which is probably closer to two to three times a month. Right. So, right. So if we, if, if, uh, you know, what gets measured gets improved and I wasn't measuring that. So uh, right. probably wasn't going anywhere, but once the pandemic started, all of a sudden I realized I have gaps in my schedule. Now I have capacity. So yeah. I jumped on that and said, put it on the calendar. I'm going learned of course, that I have to have my workout closed at the office because by the time I get home and change, I'm pretty much cooked. So got to yeah. go straight to the gym after the office, but that, that is it. I, I, I don't remember what my answer with you was, but spot on consistency, that, that is the challenge. We know what to do. You just don't get it into your calendar enough. Yeah. It's, you know, I listen for keywords when I'm doing interviews and I try not to lead the witness too much. You know, I really want to hear what their words are. And as soon as I hear the word, I try to blah, 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 whatever, it doesn't matter right. what it is. I know pretty much they're not doing that. So what is the reality versus what is the hope or the expectation are two very different things. A lot of times, as soon as I hear someone say yesterday, I had someone say, I go to the gym four days a week. I knew he goes to the gym four days a week. If he says he tries, it's probably for a month, like you said, (laughs) right? And one of the things I think is um, kind of an aha moment for me is I hear all the excuses why people can't do things that they want to do. It's not that I'm telling them they should, they want these things. So, but then they follow it up pretty quickly. I can't because of work, client demands, kids, I'm just too tired, you know, any, any number of excuses. Um, But I think what's interesting is that we allow certain things to guide our lives and our day. And we don't allow other things to have the same voice or the same vote in that process. So if a client needs you, it's more important than if your body needs you, you know, or if, if your wife needs something or your kids need to go to ball practice or whatever, those trump whatever your body needs. So I just encourage people to give their health a vote. So they at least consider it in, in the whole network of things. I journal in the morning and one of my lines, I try to write because I don't do it every day. That's why I say, try to write every day is I always have time for things that matter most. And it's something I want to remind myself of because I squeeze things out like anybody else, but I have to check myself because the battle's up here in my mind. I always have time for things that matter most, right? You know, Ross, when you told me that, I actually wrote it down and I've been, I mean, I've been mulling that over in my brain. That's really stuck with me in your interview so much so that I've got a post built around that um, for social media. And I've started talking to clients too about that quote. I think it's a brilliant thing because it sets your intention. Maybe you're not going to be perfect. That's okay. Maybe you're not, you're going to fail at it, but it sets the intention. And then we have this really powerful subconscious brain that then doesn't want to be a liar. It wants to be true. It wants to be right. So it then starts to kind of orchestrate your day to make sure that these things happen that you want. So um, there's a, an acronym that I, I teach people called ECHO, E-C-H-O. And the O is orchestrate your day. And that's kind of it. Set your intention and figure out, not, not that you have to like map it out every hour, just, you know, let yourself know we can do the things that are important to us. And knowing life is never optimal, I often write the second line, which is, and if I don't have time, I'll get to it shortly. 
because yeah. of disruptions and that's yeah. okay. I was heading to the gym, something happened. It's not the end of the world because I don't control my day, but I'm, I still have, I still have agency. So I can still go the next day. I can go later on, not the end of the world. So yeah, that, yeah. that really helps check me. Now you did a uh, survey and you said, what would you like? Perfect health or unlimited wealth at age 85? Yeah. Perfect health, unlimited wealth. What were the answers? Um, the answers were, it was a resounding win for perfect health over unlimited health, wealth unlimited wealth. So it, it was, it was health over money is what people wanted to do because you, if you do it the other way around, the money can't buy the health, the health, you can then potentially get all the money that you need effect if, efficiently. And I did a follow-up study and I said for those or survey for those people who, who chose health, why is health important because of how you look? or because of your chronic disease and want to be here in the future, you know, which motivator is it? And honestly, it was a 50, 50 split straight down the middle and people who, who are motivated by the way that they look have this guilt around that. I know I shouldn't, I probably don't want to say this, sorry, you know, like that. And the people on the other side who have like the longevity, they're kind of proud of that, you know, like, I want to be here for my grandkids or, or whatever, walk my daughter down the aisle. And so I, I found it interesting, the guilt pride thing, even though it was a 50, 50 split, any motivator is good. If you look good and you feel confident, you're going to go do more of those things that you enjoy. And that's going to be good for your longevity. So I just want to encourage people, whatever the motivator is, lean into it, right? Use what you got to work with. Sounds good yeah, to me. Yeah. Yeah. How about the age wave study? Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So there are two, there was one in 2014 done with Merrill Lynch. And then there was one in 2020 done with Edward Jones with age wave. And what they did in both studies is interviewed retirees who are already retired. I don't remember how many in 2014, let's say maybe like five or 6,000. And then in 2020, it was like 9,000 people. And what they found were very similar results. In 2014, they found that 81% said that good health is the number one ingredient for a successful and happy retirement. And that's above money, relationships, everything else. Now in 2020, they found that there's four pillars and the four pillars of a good retirement in this order are health, relationships, purpose, and money in that specific order. And um, if you go a little bit deeper, some of the other findings were the number one reason people retire early earlier than they expected is because of a health reason. The number one concern or fear with their retirement not lasting is health care. So if you can see, there's like this constant theme there of health, health, health at every aspect of that retirement process. I've been mulling around in my head and having a few conversations of how to explain to clients or work it into the financial planning process that money spent on improving my health during retirement should be looked at as an investment and not just an expense. And how do we build that in that I'm taking my portfolio and I'm taking X percent, maybe 0.1%, I'll make it up, doesn't matter. But I take a chunk and say, I'm going to use this to increase my health and I'm going to invest it in my health because I know that matters most. 
And then I wanna use some to make sure I put it into relationships because I know that social activity, the friends, the shared memories, all of that makes a big difference. And I don't have a framework for it yet, but we look at what things cost and we listen to people talk about, well, that's expenses and you know that's expensive and you know going to a club or joining this or doing that, you mm. know, playing pickleball might change your life. Yes. Seriously, right? You, it's social, it's routine, it's challenging, it's measurable, it's flow. It's wonderful. You can do it till you're 90 years old. I was, yes. I was on a, a strider. It's a, an elliptical machine on wheels, which is what I exercise on going down the street. And I went by a house that had a pickleball net in the driveway. <laughs> the lady must have been 90 years old. Oh, there was I no love doubt. That. And her son was playing with her. And I just smiled thinking pickleball forever. It, yes. It's amazing. But do we really look at that and understand that it truly is an investment, you know, and how do we frame that? But it's, it's something we have to work on. So I love the message. I love how you explain that. The, the 81%, that is definitely a, a number that seems normal to me, but I want to shift gears uh, a little sure. bit. When we were talking right before we started recording, you talked about the CDC and a recent report on mm -hmm. deaths related to COVID. Fascinating data. Can you share that with us? Sure. This was at this time, it was a couple months ago. Um, there was a report that came out on the leading causes of death of by by COVID. When people get COVID, what what are the risk factors associated with it? And right now I only remember the top two. There were there were a few more in that list. Um, but the number one was obesity, which I don't think is a surprise to anybody. We've kind of heard that for a while. Um, and number two was the surprise, and that was fear, stress fear and stress from dying of COVID. And I remember seeing a few articles come out about that. I was shocked. You know, I could not believe it that the mind and the fear can have such a physiological change in your body. And so when someone comes to work with me and we talk about this, if they're afraid of dying of COVID, that's actually the first place we start because we need to change the mindset. Just like you said, how do you how do you change it from an expense to an investment in your health? You know, you look at it as an asset and a bank account and filling that bank account. It's the same thing with your health. How can we reduce the cortisol, which is, you know, stress hormone? How can we calm the inflammation in the body and boost your mindset to, to provide those feel good um, hormones, you know, so that you will feel like going out and doing the things you love and going to the gym or exercising or eating well or being with the people that you love. So the fear will keep you back from doing all the things that are really good for you. And it's hard to know chicken or egg, what's actually causing the risk factor. Is it the fear only, or is it the fear keeping you from doing things that you know would be good for you? So it's, you know, there's some more research that could be done there, but yeah, it's a big deal. It is a big deal. I know going through your website and watching the videos, before I forget, can you tell people how to get a hold of you and where to find your work? Sure. Um, you can go to www.growwealthy, and that is W-E-L-L-T-H-Y for wealthy, um, dot com. And that's where you can see all my stuff. I've got videos and blogs and things up there you can, you can get. And if you put in your... Um, your email, then I'll send you this resource guide that I created with these graphics. And it's four conversation starters that you can have um, to connect health and wealth 
to each other for yourself or for your clients. And that really helps to show any gaps that might be existing to help your client, you know, change their view of how they look at their health in relationship to their finances. So try those out. I'm on LinkedIn all the time. So find me on LinkedIn, send me a message. I love to put tons of free content out there. If you'd rather, you know, just message me in an email, then it's just Stephen at growwealthy.com. And Stephen is with a Y, S-T-E-V-Y-N. Excellent. So let's finish with a pro tip. One of your posts was about when to take a walk and why. I love that. Can, can you share those? Sure. So I do what's called high ROI activities. So activities that have a return on investment. How much little effort and time can we put in to get the biggest bang for our buck? We want to do that with money. We want to do that with our health too, right? Orange theory, so, right? <laughs> right? Yes. So you can go for a walk any time of day, and that's going to be good for you, right? But if you take that same walk and you put it right after your biggest meal, and I mean within 15 minutes for at least 15 minutes, then you're going to be stacking that, that activity and putting more return on that investment. And the reason is because when you eat, your blood sugar spikes. And when your blood sugar spikes, then you have insulin floods and then you have a dip. And then you get later fatigued, cravings, need something to eat, but you're, you know, so it starts you on this. So if you go for a walk within 15 minutes of eating, then it takes that blood sugar spike and cuts it in half. I mean, like that's huge. That burns up the sugar before it has a chance to get reactive with your insulin and go into storage as fat. But what if we did the same walk at the same time and we closed our mouth and breathed only out of our nose? Then you just added another layer of return on that investment. And that's changing your CO2 to oxygen ratio, your nitric oxide, all these different things that are actually improving your immune system. So if you do it outside, you're getting the nature. If you go with a friend, you're getting the relationship. So as many stacks as you can get with the one activity, the better off you're going to be. Pro tips. I love it. Steven, grow wealthy. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Ross. Thank you for listening to Wealth at Work. The information covered and posted represents the views of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Advisor 2X. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.